Welcome to an exegetical study of biblical scripture. This scripture is God's speech, God's story, written through the hands of men by his spirit, and it's all about God's glory. My name is Bryce Ferguson. Join me now as we go into the word. This is Genesis. Welcome, my brothers and sisters, here on the Lord's Day to a day of worship, to a day to adore and accolade and praise and magnify our Lord. Let's pray. Dear God, far and away and above all that we can think and imagine, you are so great and so good and faithful. Always through your word, we see the pattern and the regularity and the commitment of your faithfulness to your word, to who you are, to your people, to your covenants. Though your people fall short, though your people are distracted to sin, you are faithful. You are constant in a storm of distraction and laziness and sin. In our world that's so broken, God, you are faithful. And you have brought so much forethought of love to what we know today, to what mankind has known for thousands and thousands of years, this earth, this creation, this planet with our water and with our land, with our vegetation for food, with our animals for all sorts of uses, including food. God, you are good and holy. And we thank you. And we pray this all in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. I want to start today with recapping last week. We talked about Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. And I'll read that again here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. God's acts of creation... God's forethought in creation brought our planet into being out of nothing. What was before the beginning? We don't know. It's not recorded. But what we know is God was and God is and God is and he has been in the active ever present tense is God is God declares himself, I am. That is a present tense descriptor. God says, I am. What is he doing here? He's distinguishing himself from all other 
man-made or Satan-influenced false gods. And God is saying, there is no other God besides me. I am God alone. This is who God is. This is who our God is. This is who the God of the Bible is. He is God alone. And from the creation of the earth as a planet, now we're going to read about his created detailed order, his creation for provision, and his creation for and to sustain life. Today we're going to talk about verses 3 through 25 a good stretch, and we're going to take this in parts. And I describe them as days because that's how they're described here. I break them up into days, rather, for that's how they are described here. Let's look at day one, the rhythm. In verse three, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. The earth, folks, my first point in this section, as we mentioned last week, was in darkness. It was created, and it was in darkness then God declared the creation of light in verse 3. And God approved light as good. See, the things that God creates for mankind, the things that God creates to testify to his goodness, to who he is, he also approves as good. Because God is good, and his creation to testify to his greatness is good. God also here, folks, creates a distinction. That light was not the same as darkness, and it would not be at the same time as darkness. Now we have time. Now we have a separation. Now we have a rhythm. There was not yet a rhythm, and how long that period of quote-unquote time was before the first couple of verses, or if that was simply a summary of the created order, we don't specifically know. But now there's a rhythm. There is light and there is darkness. This has distinction, it has purpose, it is defined, and it is separate. God established the rhythm of the hours, what would later become known as the hours, as mankind would mark off time, to have light for a period of time, and then to be without light, or to say, to have darkness. The hours of the sun, to be called in our English translation of what God declared, day, and the hours of the dark, to be called in our translation, night. See, it's not humanity that 
that came up with what we call day and what we call night. This was from God. And also to point out here, the rhythm of a single day, or a rotation rather, begins in the evening, and it ends with the morning. So think about that for a second. That, that's very different from our Western mentality of what constitutes a single day of time. We always start here in the morning. We look at a day as beginning in the morning and then ending at night. And this is a distinction, this is a difference from the Hebrew become Jewish mentality. And there is a lot of representation here, and, and you can look into this and read into this a little bit with why a day begins in the evening, arises in the morning. And think about it here with the rhythm of there was darkness first, and God said, let there be light. So darkness was over the face of the deep. And in verse 3, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then at the end here, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Let's look at day two, what I call altitude. In verse 6, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the water, the waters rather, from the water. God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. Initially, when you read those verses, and before you get to the end, you think, there's an expanse between the water and the waters, or the waters from the water, in verse 6, and you think, oh, that's land. That's how we know it on our plane with gravity. But then you read, he made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. God called the expanse heaven. So we see that this is a measure of height or a measure of atmosphere. There were not levels of atmosphere until God created levels of atmosphere. So what we know as atmosphere and then outer space didn't exist separately until God created them separately. And in my second point in this section, God creates this separation. First, he separated light from darkness. Now he separates many things. He separates water from water, what we now call sky from water, and what we call space from earth, outer space from earth, above our atmosphere. And the day's hours, again, begin with evening and end with morning. <clears throat> For those new to 
the study of biblical scripture. Let me mention something here. The great majority of time, I would say the Bible is literal. You can read it literally. There are facts and figures and actual literal historical events that happened. And that is the great majority of the time. But it's sometimes, at times, but at times, it is figurative. And I believe with this description of, we see the days of creation, like example, the first day, the second day, we see perhaps both literal and figurative usages. We know God is the creator of all these things, which is literal. We know he created it. We know the timeline for what we call now a single day or a rotation includes both daylight and nighttime hours. Or I guess I should say nighttime and then daylight hours. And it's also unknown whether all of this occurred within a literal, what we call today, 24-hour period or a single rotation or not. And I'll address that and my thoughts on that in a moment, but let me continue with day three. In day three, verse nine, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Verse 11, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening. And there was morning, the third day. So what do we see here in day three? God is establishing boundaries for water on the earth. Along with these boundaries, God creates and establishes land on the earth, if you will. So think of it in a different way. We know it today as land. But God was also establishing boundaries for where the water could go, where the water would not go. And the reason that you hear, I believe, the reason that you hear some people, especially in perhaps rural America, which I've lived for a good stretch of time, and farmers especially refer to dirt as earth, it's because God called the dry land earth. This is where we get the term. This is where we get the name of earth. This is land. It's dirt. God also created with his voice. God said, all these times he said, he said. That's the point right there. He said, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let dry land appear. Verse 11, and he said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed. And it was so. 
God created with his spoken word, with his voice, and it was so. What a magnificent creator. We as humans form things with our hand. We take things that are and we form or we manipulate or we reinvent or recreate something out of something else. God creates out of nothing without specifically his hands. Who knows if those were also involved or not. But he is God who dwells outside of time. There is no limit to him. And this says that he spoke it into existence. Simply with his vocal declaration, creation occurred. And God saw that it was good. God continues to create a filling of the earth here with vegetation and plants. And what we see about God in this is his meticulous, definitive, structured, planned order. Nothing was out of place. Nothing was missing. Nothing was without forethought for what the world or humanity or animals or plants would need. Everything God did was very purpose-filled. Let's go to day four. Day four, what I call rhythms of light. In verse 14, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. So why did I say previously that this created order of days was also figurative, or could be figurative? Let's talk about that for a second. So because we see the creation of light, back on day one of creation in verse three, and then the creation of plants on day three in verse 11. And we also do not see the specific mention of the sun until day four in verse 16. Now, we all know photosynthesis and how plants live and grow. It's possible that it is all literal and the light existing in verse 3 was similar to the sun without specifically being the sun or perhaps contained to the sun as we know it. Therefore, also producing then photosynthesis for the plants or it's possible light was formed 
is it just wasn't the sun as we know it. Or it's possible the sun was from verse 3, and God drew the distinction between the sun and the moon in day 4. Like he drew the moon separate from it. So there are unknowns in this all. And in this is a bit of mystery requiring faith, and following God is all about faith. So I know as some people feel very strongly that it's one or the other in the order of creation, I will say this. I think a lot of things in the Christian faith come back to belief and trust in God. So whether this was a literal 24-hour rotation of the earth as we know it, for, all, for each of the six days of creation, or as was common at times in Jewish tradition, the phrase day represented a period of time, not specifically one rotation of the earth. So I believe what's important in our trust and reading and belief and worship of God in the first part of Genesis is that we submit ourselves to God and submit ourselves to believing it could be either one and knowing that God can do anything within any amount of time in any atmosphere or universe, inside or outside of time, because he is God. And if we pursue this line of belief, then God receives the glory, and that is both God's command in believing and giving him glory, and we receive both clear direction and affirmation when we walk in faith, when we submit our own opinions and our own ideas and our own preferences and even reading the word of God to God, even when there's mystery in it. Because when we do this, we walk in faith as God followers. And we say, God, you know it all. I see this, I read this, I understand you did all these acts of creation, and I believe that. But whether you did it this way or whether you did it that way, either way, I know you are the one who created. You are the one worthy of all praise and glory and adoration and worship in this. And whether you did it, whether you did day one, in one rotation of the earth, which we now mark as 24 hours, or whether you did it in one second, you are capable and able of doing anything at any time. And you are the one who has that distinction. Each time, folks, we obey God, we submit our opinions to trusting God. This gives our life more meaning and definition because we are embracing how and why we were created. 
You were created. I was created. To submit ourselves to God. Talked about that last week, that God commands and frankly demands, or you could use those words interchangeably, because they really mean the same. It's required that we submit, that we surrender our lives to God. And what does that include? God said it in the Ten Commandments. God reiterates it in the Old Testament, and Jesus affirms it in the New Testament. The great commandment is to worship the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And in some areas you see, and strength. So in all things, in all areas of life, whether you're waking in the morning and you're punching your alarm clock, for most people today, that's their cell phone. So whether you're throwing your cell phone across the room because it has a very annoying sound and you don't want to get up in the morning, do it to the glory of God. Submit your morning to God's glory. Whether you're getting your kids ready for school or you're getting your family ready on the weekend to go out or to go to church or you're with your spouse or you live alone, get ready in the morning submitting your life to God, Almighty God, that you might worship the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your strength, with all your soul. Whether you're driving in a commute, to work, or to do errands, or to do whatever it is. Submit your drive to the glory of God, that in all things you might worship the Lord your God. The Lord your God, O Israel, is one. Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. That means he's one God. He is the preeminent, prominent, only God, and there is no other worthy of our adoration, of our time, of our efforts, of everything we have, of our strength, of our mental fortitude, of our resilience, of our perseverance, of our legacy that we're building on earth every single day of our lives because we are all building something. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And that also means he's in the number one place, folks. Over all of this, over all of creation, the Lord your God is one. So let's get back to day four. What do we see here? The sun, moon, and stars were created for very specific purposes. The purposes that God created them for is actually what mankind uses them for, believe it or not, and continues to use them for. The sun and moon are each for two reasons among many, to both provide light and separation, day and night. The sun and moon, along with the stars, establish markers of time 
providing guidance for timekeeping, record keeping, and marking history. The stars are fixed points. So coupled with the Earth's rotation, mankind has used these markers in the sky as navigation, keeping them on course to conduct fishing, transportation, business ventures, to cross oceans and seas and lakes, and namely to get back home. God created the sun to provide heat and light to the earth, to feed plants and vegetation through photosynthesis, to empower humans and animals and sea creatures, to drive the planets into a rotational pole and provide the method for navigation by daylight, among many other reasons. God created the moon with the gravitational force, as we know, tying it to the earth. It shields the earth in a number of respects, with both regard to the space, uh, to space, outer space, and the sun. Stabilizes the earth for habitation and preservation of life. And it provides light by night by means of reflection from the greater light that governs the day, our sun. Let's look at day five. Verse 20, and God said, let the waters swarm, which means a gathering. Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening. And there was morning the fifth day. And I'm going to continue in verse 24 here. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock and creeping things. That's a great word. Creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth, also a good word according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Again, we see God speak these into existence. The whales, the tiniest creatures in the ocean, the plankton, smaller even, Everything that fills our oceans and our seas and our lakes and our rivers, God created this and he filled it intentionally. He saw the land and he created animals and he, he creates, he writes a separation here in the types of creatures on the land. And he has 
beasts or the wild things or the, or the animals that do not fit into the classification as livestock. And then livestock, which would become so important to the Hebrew people and later the Jewish people and today to all of us on earth in large measure. And then the creeping things, creeping. How often, how often have you used that word this week? Creeping things, the very small creatures that God made. What is their purpose? God has a purpose. God has a created order. God has a definitive organization and a meaning and a reason. And all of these are good to God. What does it say here? It says God blessed them. And it said, he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the space, fill the waters and the seas. Let the birds multiply on the earth. God saw that it was good. He made them for, so we don't get absent-minded. Let me caution here. It would be misaligned and misappropriated and completely off base to say that this Bible is about us. Or it's for us, but it's not about us. We are a secondary story in the line. This is about God. This is about God's glory. This is creation is about God's glory. And God, through all of this and in the creation of humanity and in his story for humanity, we get to participate in God's story. And we'll get to that with humanity soon. But this is all for God's glory first. It's for his pleasure. It's for his renown. Look at the words here. God said, and God saw that it was good. God blessed them, said, be fruitful, multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, day after day. And yes, he also made them for us. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters, multiply on the earth. Who else was to be on the earth? Who else was to be created and charged to fill the earth. Same language here. Same language. You all know this about humanity. Be fruitful and multiply on the earth. But first he said it to the animals. Be fruitful, multiply. They receive God's blessing. Who would be created to, quote, subdue the earth? My paraphrase, but the word is subdue or to tame. Well, that's humanity. And we'll get to that soon. So let's look back. What do we see in all of this? We see God's love. We see God's extraordinary, passionate, unrestrained, Love 
Yes, he's doing it for his glory. And that is a good thing, by the way. That is a good and holy and proper and righteous and magnificent and wonderful thing. And in our culture in this present day in 2023, we get perhaps this humanistic idea that anything that someone does for themselves is selfish and wrong. Or perhaps you have not been brought up to believe that, depending on your upbringing, depending on your inputs, depending upon what you're listening to, what you're teaching yourself with, what sources you are using. But yes, if a human's doing something just for themselves and it does not give glory to God, yeah, that's selfish. Exactly. That's the definition of selfishness, if you will. But when God does something for God's glory, we talked last week about how God is completely set apart. Okay? God is not a created human like we are. We're constrained, God's not. We are creation of God, God's not. We are limited, God's not. We're in time and God's not. We are fallen and God's not. We are sinful and God's not. We get lazy and God's not. We get distracted and God's not. We sleep at night and God does not. When we look at it this way, when we read the Holy Scripture, when we read the Bible, when we read God's word to man, we see that God's glory is magnificent. We see that it's precious. We see that it's holy. We see that it's righteous, that it is good. We know God is good, and when God is glorified, it is good. It is great. It is wonderful. It is magnificent. So when God glorifies himself, there is nothing higher, nothing better. When mankind submits themselves to God, submit, when you submit your heart to God, when you surrender your life and your selfishness and your sinful ways and you say, God, I submit it. I give it over. I'm, I want to glorify you. That is good. See, God's glory is good and there's nothing better. Why? Because we're affirming God for who he is. And he is fully worthy of all of it. So now let's look again at God's love in creation. God created earth, the planet, where we all dwell. God created gravity, which I wrote is how humans stay grounded. No pun intended. This is how our feet are tethered to the ground. Otherwise, we'd be floating off into who knows where. God wanted us to have a habitat. God wanted us to have a temporary dwelling. I say temporary because we only have short lifetimes, in my opinion. 
somewhere around about, could be a few years, could be a hundred years. It's not much over that for many people on earth. And what we all realize is as we live year to year, that's a very short amount of time. So I say we have relatively short lifetimes. The gravity is how we stay tethered to the earth. In God's love, he gave us oxygen, which is required for life, human life, let alone animals and the other creatures on earth. He gave us water on this planet in abundance, by the way, more than 70% of the earth is water. And that's required for life. He gave us the land, separation between the waters, separation vertically and atmosphere. I say vertically, um, in height, in altitude, with atmosphere and separation between space to protect us. He gave us an atmosphere to shield us from the sun's rays, which is important. And he gave us separation between the waters with land. This is where we can actually walk. Jesus walked on the water and Peter did for a short while. But I don't know if you've realized this, that's very atypical. You'd have to be God or under God's power to be able to walk on water. And he did. And Peter did under God's power. But humans, otherwise, walk on land. We're grounded on land. And this is where we live. And this is where we build houses. And this is where we go to work and conduct business and have social lives as well. God gave us in great abundance, plants with vegetation, animals, and creatures. And that provides for mankind in a whole assortment of ways. This is definitive. This is purposeful. How would the earth have provided for humans and animals and sea creatures, if not for vegetation, if not for other animals? <clears throat> How would the earth have sustained life if it did not have water, if it didn't have land, if it didn't have light, if it didn't have the moon as a regulator in gravitational pull? How would the earth have been if it was simply water and it had no land and no air above, no atmosphere, no oxygen. There'd be no place to step. There'd be no place to breathe. There'd be no food to consume and no life to sustain. Instead, God made water. God made land. God made light. God made night. God made plants and vegetation and God made animals and birds and sea creatures and invertebrates and all these things because God is the one who created all things. God is intentional and he's passionate and God's love is powerfully greater than any man could dream. And I firmly believe there are two reasons for all of this. 
As I said, it's first and foremost for God's glory. Why did he make the earth? It's for his glory first. Why did he make plants on the earth? It's for his glory first. Have you thought about this? The earth is largely rock, okay, but it has water. It's contained by gravity, has land, has vegetation. Well, plants and vegetation are alive. Trees are alive. They're living organism. There are a lot of living organisms. There's bacteriums and amoebas and cellular organisms of all sorts of shapes and sizes in abundance on the earth. Every once in a while I stop and, and I think about the trees. And where I live, there are a lot of trees. There's evergreen and deciduous trees. There's plant life as well. And I think about how God's creation in these worship him. You say, Bryce, how does a tree worship God? Because it doesn't have a heart. It's not eternal like humanity. And you're right, it's not. God sent Christ to die for mankind. Mankind, we'll get to it next week, was made in the image and the likeness of God. And that is a very deliberate distinction about humanity. But I think about the trees. And I think when I get lazy, when I get distracted, when I turn to something other than God, who is fully worthy of all praise and adoration and glory in all of the earth for all time. This is what God is worthy of, folks. Precious brothers and sisters, this is what God is worthy of. And when I fall short, I look at the tree that God has made, and I think that tree is glorifying God because it's doing exactly what God created it to do. And it's a living organism. Don't take this for anything more than what it is. Again, the tree is not eternal. The forest is not eternal. The creature is not eternal. But when I stop and I think about that, I do it to again submit and surrender my heart to God's will, to God's glory, to turn again to God and say, God, you are worthy of all praise and adoration. I look at your tree, at this tree and that tree and that tree and that tree, and they are glorifying you. I look at domesticated animals like dogs, and cats, and I see, now obviously, many things on this world, folks, are under the, the curse and the fallout from sin. I'm not saying your dog is fully obedient or anything like that, but I'm saying what I see in that is I see the mark in the hand of a creator God. And I see a dog who is living as a dog and acting as a dog, and God created them to be a dog. Do you see 
do you connect here what I'm what I'm trying to extrapolate, what I'm trying to, to describe, what I'm trying to convey to you? We should take away from this encouragement. God created this earth to glorify him. God created all of these things to bring him glory, to make him magnificent, to testify to the universe and outside of the universe, to all created things, to the angels about God's glory. That God would be lifted up, that God would be magnified, that God would be adored, that God would be cherished above all else. And humanity prominently needs to get this into our mind, fix it into our mind, and fix it into our heart. Because when we do, that changes everything. First and foremost, God made it for his glory. And second, yes, he made it for humanity. We haven't got to verse 26 yet. But obviously, if we did not have a planet with gravity, oxygen, water, land, planet, plants, <laughs> and planets, other planets, but here on Earth, with plants and animals, we could not live, let alone thrive as we're living. So the second reason that God made all of this, yes, absolutely, displays his love for us, he made it for us. And we'll get to that more in detail next week. But if we remembered that order for why creation, it'll speak volumes to us. One last thing I see clearly here is God is creating order. Different than categories, perhaps. Well, it is different than categories. God is creating order. Part of order and containment, as I mentioned in the first week, is boundaries. So how do we honor God in the realization that we're contained, that we're under containments or to say that we have boundaries. Well, first, it starts in respecting the created order. And it's in respecting the boundaries God has established. Holding on to this will serve us well also. Let's pray. Father God, holy God, Wonderful God, God who sees and knows every human heart, God who sees and knows his planet, which you have created in all these different ways, and you call good. It's all about your glory. It's all about your glory. Help us, God. Teach us, God. Holy Spirit, fill us up. We want to submit our lives to you. We want to submit our desires to you. Because we know that in you is life. That in you is light. Straight and narrow is the path that leads to life. 
and this is the path that you've created all of your children to follow you along. Help us, God, to be passionate because you're passionate. Help us to be purposeful because you're purposeful. Help us to live under order because you created order. And help us always to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Join me next time as we continue in God's story of creation in Genesis 1.